Yeah, so the work that was done here was prompted by some research that was published by some of our fellow scientists and engineers around the world on 100% renewable energy systems in the long term. So not necessarily today or in the short term or medium term, but long term. Um, and that was Ben Hurd and colleagues in uh, 2017. There was a paper published in a journal called Sustainable and Renewable Energy Reviews. This, this paper is essentially a response to that. Um, in the previous paper, there were a few criteria that were developed uh, by, the, by those authors to assess whether 100% or very high penetration renewable energy systems are possible. And uh, this paper is a response to that because uh, the outcome of a lot of that paper was that it's not necessarily um, feasible or uh, viable. And this is now a response to that to try and respond to some of the criteria, number one, and the outcomes of those criteria. And then can you tell me, how did you guys embark on this study? What was the methodology? So, so the, the methodology, uh, um, I, I wasn't one of the primary authors. The primary author is Tom Brown, and he developed the methodology. Um, at that stage, he was still in Frankfurt at, a, at an institute called FIES, but at the moment he's at KIT in Germany, and he developed the approach. And what the approach tries to do is it just tries to take the feasibility criterion, of which there are four, and assess them um, based on the outcomes of the previous work. So it's essentially a response to an existing journal article, an existing um, bit of literature of four feasibility, feasibility criterion. And by the way, there's actually two additional feasibility criteria that are added as well. Um, so that's the approach. It looks at the four that were there and responds to them, but then adds another two. Can you just tell me about the findings of your study? Well, if you could indulge me for a bit, it's those four outcomes, I just wanted to describe them quickly, and then uh, I'll just briefly describe some of the outcomes from them. So the first feasibility criterion is um, related to demand projections. So it's the expected total energy, either electrical energy or total energy demands globally, and whether those would be going up, staying the same, or reducing in absolute terms in the long term. And some of the outcomes of the previous work was that uh, the studies that were reviewed in that previous work said that demand projections would actually reduce. Um, therefore, they would then be rated negatively based on that criterion. Uh, depending on the scope of those studies that were done, uh, the demand projections could actually go down in absolute terms in some countries, but in most countries, specifically developing countries like South Africa, it's very likely that demand will carry on increasing. So that's demand for electricity, that's demand for transportation, that's demand for heating and cooling and process environments. So that's the first one. The second one has two, um, I guess, components to it. The one is the ability to sim simulate or, or model in very short time resolution. So making sure that supply and demand are always matched in particular time frames. So you have to make sure that for every five minutes or 15 minutes or every hour, the supply and demand match. <clears throat> so that was the first part of criterion two. The second part of that is extreme climactic events. So as you would know, moving into the future, it's very likely that as a result of climate change, we are going to have more and more extreme climactic events. Um, South Africa is no exception. I think we're feeling that now in the Cape. Um, and so that was criterion two. Um, in, in each of those, uh, there's... there's, there's there's a bit of a caveat in each of those. And the first one, the simulation time resolution, is a function of how big the geographical area is that you're analyzing. More specifically, if you're looking at resources like solar and wind, 
as you increase the geographical area, you reduce the um, correlation between the two. So they don't directly relate to each other. If you're looking at, for example, just one site where you have a solar panel on, on a rooftop, or you have solar panels distributed across the country, you've got a very different time resolution that you have to analyze. And most studies actually do that, but that's what some of the previous authors didn't necessarily consider in the analysis of that criterion. And then in the second one, in terms of extreme climatic events, of course, these kinds of things are when you have long periods without sun, where you have lots of clouds, for example, if it's for a few days or weeks at a time in some countries, and then also long periods where you have lulls in, the, in wind, for example. So these variable energy resources aren't necessarily constant, but they have very long periods of, of small levels of upward. So what's important here, though, is that although that may be true, the important um, criterion that needs to be applied here is what is the cost implication of that? So what does that mean then for the overall energy system and what kind of alternative, you could call it backup capacity or backup generation, will be needed to make sure that we can ride through those times? And it's orders of magnitude less than the overall system costs. So that's an important outcome of that one. The third one is transmission and distribution networks. So making sure you can get whatever you supply to the end user, so transporting the energy. And in electricity, it's large overhead power lines most of the time. But in future, it's very likely that distributed energy resources like solar PV on rooftops, as well as wind in community levels or biogas digesters, for example, will be located very close to the demand side. So yes, you may need a bit more transmission. You also may not need as much as most think because a lot of the supply will be where the demand is anyway. But what's important here, again, is the cost implication of that. So it's feasible because the solutions are available. We already have overhead lines, for example. Whether it's viable because of the cost implications is something that wasn't necessarily considered, but in this research it was. And again, it was showed orders of magnitude smaller than the overall power system costs. And then the final one is a bit more um, complicated and technical, but it's called ancillary services. These are essentially all of the services that a power system needs to operate reliably and safely. So it's making sure that there's reserves um, during a day when you don't have any certainty around demand or you have uncertainty around the supply side so that you ensure that there's no blackouts, no outages on the power system. Most modeling uh, that's been undertaken historically and is still being undertaken includes this explicitly. Um, unfortunately, the, our fellow colleagues didn't necessarily include that in their criterion and felt that this was very underplayed in some of the research. And as part of this response, I think a lot of that was, I guess, um, the myths around that were, were debunked and a lot of the information provided in this, in this research. So those are those four criteria that we responded to. Okay, just to look at South Africa, do you think that um, even in South Africa we can get 100% of our energy from renewable sources? Um, I think there's not enough literature at the moment to state definitively whether that's possible. I think there's enough literature to say that very high penetrations of renewables are, are possible, but not necessarily 100%. So there has been research done by CSR where I am at the moment, as well as by other academic institutions like UCT and Stellenbosch, where they're looking at these systems levels, system-level-wide um, high-penetration renewable scenarios and asking the question of whether, number one, they're feasible, but also, number two, whether they're then viable. Um, to give you an example of the work that I was personally involved in at the CSR, we've been running scenarios where we get 70 to 80% and, in some cases, 90% renewables. Most of it is based on solar PV, so 
solar panels and onshore wind, so wind distributed across the country. The important thing here is that these are some of the least cost outcomes in the long term at the moment. Five to eight years ago or even ten years ago, we weren't getting these kinds of outcomes in the, in the, the modeling um, approaches that were being taken. The result of this is, as the, the reason for this, sorry, is as a result of significant technology cost reductions in just the last three to five years. And would you say that um, South Africa is serious about um, introducing um, renewable energy into our, uh, well, into our policy? Yeah, I think uh, the commitment to this is shown by the Renewable Energy RTP program. Unfortunately, as you know, um, there were a lot of delays there, as there were delays in signing the power purchase agreements with a lot of the preferred bidders. But that's now been resolved, so that shows some commitment in recent times. But as part of the Renewable Energy RPP procurement program, I think that really does show some serious commitment to it at a utility scale level, so a large scale. Uh, but I think going forward, it's very important to, to realize that if we want to make sure that the renewable energy sets can be as inclusive as possible, is we need to think really seriously about distributed energy, energy for communities, individually owned, community owned um, uh, energy sources. So it's energy on rooftops, solar PV on rooftops, you know, biogas, digital for communities. Uh, community-owned projects as opposed to these large utility-scale projects, which, yes, it definitely did kickstart the industry. Um, but I think in future we need to think of some really serious policy options for to, to enable South Africans to generate the power and own that, that energy in future as opposed to a lot of in, international investments coming in and doing it for us. Uh, Mr. Wright, it's Energy Month this month. Um, any thoughts regarding energy? Well, like I've said already, I think... Um, in, in, in general, I think there's a bright future with a lot of possibilities. South Africa has a massive competitive and comparative advantage with the amount of solar and wind that we do have. So high renewable energy um, penetration in future, playing a large part of our energy mix, is something that I think is undoubtedly in, in a, a policy direction that we should move towards. Um, of course, I'm not a policymaker. I'm just a scientist and engineer at CSR. But I think, in general, in the long term, we do have a competitive and comparative advantage, and we should try to use it um, to, to its utmost.